นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะบุตังธรรมังสังขังนามสามิอิโทปรังสกัจจังธรรมโสตปุติกรีนิ่ง with um, permission of l o m p o and the sangha I'd like to offer a few reflections tonight and the topic I wanted to talk about was the aspects of how to go to refuge or what are the things that make one have a refuge the word that we know For refuge in Pali, is usually the Saranang. We've just chanted it many times this evening. Buddha Dhamma Sangha is going to refuge to Buddha Dhamma Sangha. But there's also another word that we use frequently. We could make a school class now. I could ask, does anybody know the other word? <laughs> Probably, it's the word Nato. For example, when we chant in the End of the session. Usually, we chant the sharing of merits, and we say, m u t t a t i p a v a r o nato tammo nato varuttamo nato p a c h e k a p u t t o j a s a n g k o nato taromamang. So this nato is another word for refuge, and it also means protector or guardian. And having lived. With Lumpur Monindo for a while, and you having been in the monastery many times already, you probably know the famous saying that many times Lumpur also quotes: "Atai atano nato," which in uh, Thai Dhamma education is one of the standard Dhammapada verses that gets quoted: "Is oneself is one's own protector." Or oneself is one's own refuge, and this is also the word nato. And the Buddha he gave a, um, I think, two or three discourses where he actually explained what are the qualities that give us this protection or this refuge. And like so many times in the Buddha's teachings, it's not always reaching to the stars and to the highest things. For example. If we all had Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha deeply embedded in our hearts, we would already have this refuge. We would already be very secure with what we do. In, indeed, we would be on a very different level of experience, having always that kind of grounding in the qualities of the Buddha, and the Dhamma, and the Sangha. But the Buddha was practical, and like in so many ways, he gives also kind of a gradual approach. To how to reach such a strength, an inner stronghold. We can say nato is like an inner stronghold, and ultimately the Buddha Dhamma Sangha is our inner stronghold. And we recollect it many times. We chant together, like this evening, for example, recollecting the virtues of Buddha Dhamma Sangha and making them clear for ourselves. What I wanted to talk about today. And the ten qualities that the Buddha said are there for helping one create refuge 
or anato, this strength, this inner stronghold, this groundedness. And the first one of those ten qualities is sila. Obviously, we know this from our practice already. We feel really self-assured that we're doing something good when we keep sila, when we practice virtue, when we practice a sense of ethical conduct, compassion, when we're doing the right thing and the group of people that we are, when we're not cutting the corners and doing mischief or breaking the five precepts, the eight precepts or the bhikkhus precepts. And the Buddha said, practicing sila is marked through seeing the danger in the slightest fault. This is something that comes to my mind many times looking at our monastery here is that we always try to do things correctly and um, if there's a slightly dubious area, we don't go there. For example, remember one time going to town and it wasn't quite clear whether we were allowed to park somewhere. And in a worldly way, we would say, never mind, let's just pretend nobody sees, it's not going to be a big deal. But as monks, we train ourselves to say, okay, it's not okay, it's not correct. We take sila to that level that we say, rather walk another mile in order to have that purity or that approach to see the little things that matter. We're not cutting the corners. So this is what the Buddha says about sila in this context. The monks recited after the Patimokkha, Anuvajesu Payadasavi, seeing the danger in the slightest fault. So this is very apparent in the things that we do in the monastery. If it's not 100% correct or if we're not sure about it, we'd rather not do it. And this is an inner stronghold. If we can do this and it becomes a habit to keep sila with that caution and that inclination towards doing things really 100%, as much as we can, basically, then it becomes our strength and this is our refuge. And we all know also that the Buddha said sila is depending on our intention, what the outcome is of our practice, whether we do something that didn't quite work out, but we were intending to do it good. And the Buddha still says it's good karma, still in the level of sila. Say if we failed to do something perfect, but we wanted to do it perfect, then that's not heedless, that's, that's okay. That's allowable, that's within what the Buddha said, it's part of the training, you rely on the aspiration to do it correctly and nicely. So the second quality is something that you may be surprised, but it, it is an inner stronghold in the practice. If we have a lot of learning, learning about what the Buddha actually taught, it's called Bahu Sutta. The word Sutta is we have heard a lot. Say, for example, you hear Dhamma talks and you try to remember them and bring them back into your daily life and reflect on the qualities that were said or like expounded on and keep them with you and keep a storehold or like a, an amount, almost like a library of knowledge in your mind, remembering what would the Buddha's teachings say to these things. So this is not meant to kind of be up in the head and do things mechanically, but it is like creating a connection to the teachings. And many times, for example, we have memorized little bits and pieces. For example, the chanting we already know quite well. We don't need the books anymore because we use it so frequently. It becomes a second nature. 
And strangely enough, there's not many references to chanting in the suttas, in the teachings of the Buddha, but in this context, the Buddha actually talks about reciting the teachings by word. So what we just did, for example, we have chunks in Pali, or sometimes we have them in English, and we memorize them, and then we can use them. It's like we have them always there. It becomes a stronghold. We're in a difficult situation, some scary situation. We might already have noticed that these things come back to us. They come like somebody is whispering them into our ears, but actually it's us. We've made the effort to memorize these things. For example, the Metta Sutta in English. This is what should be done. We've known this, we've grown with it, and it becomes a stronghold, and we're able to use it. So this is Bahu Sutta, to know a lot about the Dharma, know what the Buddha actually taught. We can simplify it sometimes, and even then, if somebody asks us, maybe in school or at work, why are you Buddhist, what does the Buddha teach? And we go, um, mm. <laughs> and we then kind of come up with some general things. Oh yeah, Buddhism is such a tolerant religion. That's true and it's fine, but it would be good if we could say a few key teachings. And it really gives us a sense of confidence and other people will respect us for that. If we know what we're standing for, then, then other people give us respect. This is also in the Sutta. The Buddha talks about those, those people who have these qualities of these 10 refuge-making practices. They are well-respected. He talks within the Sangha by younger monks, by the middle-aged monks, and by the Teras, the elders. Somebody who's got sila, somebody who knows a lot. He's well-respected in the community. And the next quality that the Buddha mentions is have good friendship in the Dhamma. And this doesn't mean that one searches only friends that are Buddhists or so, but like it means that one has internalized the qualities of a good friend in the sense that the Buddha said good friendship is something that is like sweet, lovable, friendly, nice, um, is like um, respectworthy something that has got a certain sense of dignity and culture and is profound, is a, a friendship in profundity. It's not a friend that you play games with or a friend that basically sometimes you're very casual with, but it's a profound thing. It's something that goes to the roots of our, our life, of our existence. A friend through thick and thin, you can say. And a good friend is also somebody who is able to listen well who's not just talking by himself all the time, but he, he can listen to you. And at the same time, he's also a good counselor. If you have a question and you've got some doubt, a good friend can give us an answer and is able to discuss these things. And then a good friend is somebody who doesn't really do nonsensical things and doesn't take us to nonsense, basically. For example, there's friends that we might have had friendships going to parties with, and. Later, everybody ends up regretting that they went, and it wasn't really worth going along with such a friend. Maybe even serious damage has been done to some relationships or to our own mindfulness and to our own precepts or so. A friend that kind of leads us to dubious stuff is not a good friend. So we choose friends that take us to a good thing. Say, for example, a friend that says, look, um, let's go visit somebody who is sick go together because it's quite difficult sometimes if you go alone. 
And you go together and it's much more fun and you have some good relationship. You can later on reflect on what you've seen, for example, going to see somebody who is very old or sick and in hospital. Sometimes quite difficult. If we have another friend there, it works much better. It works like on the level of sharing the experience. Good friendship is what the Buddha called Kalyanamitata. And in the Sangha, it's very important. The Buddha said it's the most important thing in monk's life to have good friendship, Kalyanamitata. The next quality that makes inner stronghold is to be easy to speak to. Somebody is a good communicator. It's called sovajasata. And sometimes we say it's easy to take criticism. That's also an inner stronghold. If we're able to, to ask other people, what's your opinion about what I said this morning? Whether it's a good thing or not, we can take it both. We're easy to receive feedback. And that's an inner stronghold. That's a refuge making quality. So we're so grounded in knowing what we're doing and seeing the relationships of our interactions that we can invite others to say, look, let me know if something is wrong. That's a quality that makes for protection and an inner stronghold, a refuge. And then the next quality is something I actually really like because many times monasteries get criticized for being too busy, having too much work and and too much like external jobs and things that one needs to do, whether it's administration or painting a wall or looking after the electricity or the internet or whatever, you know. And so the next quality that makes for an inner stronghold is if we can be somebody who is able to do any job because it needs to be done. Somebody who's not fussy about like, no, I can't do that. I didn't sign up for this, but I'll just do it. This is called kinkaranyesu takata. And karaniya is like, this is what should be done. So whatever should be done, he'll just do it. So you see many times the qualities of senior monks when they go somewhere, they see something slightly misplaced or um, say kind of some, some leaf or something like that dropping on the path, they immediately pick it up whether they've been assigned to do this or not, they just do it. And this quality of just jumping in and being ready to help, that's a quality that gives us inner strength. And I think it's really true if we think about the opposite side, like if we're avoiding to do the things that need to be done, we feel weak and we feel prone to criticism, we feel actually self-critical. So if we have that quality to just lend a hand wherever we can, then that makes us strong. Then the next quality is also a quality that the Buddha doesn't speak so often about, but in this group of 10 dhammas that make for an inner stronghold or refuge, the Buddha talks about a quality that you can sometimes see with some monks, some lay people, and people, whether they are practicing or not, but somehow they get really enthusiastic and inspired and they develop this huge sense of joy and love for the Dhamma. If you ask somebody a question which is difficult to answer and you, you feel that the other person is really responding to it and, it and you wake the other person up and pull the other person out of the misery of being depressed to 
asking the right Dhamma question and talking about something that's profound. It arouses the quality that the Buddha called Dhamma Kamata, the desire or the pleasure or the joy of Dhamma. There are some monks in Thailand that have got an excellent reputation in terms of the scriptural studies, the scholarly side. And there's a slight kind of perception about the monks that are living in city monasteries and they're studying Pali and they're, <clears throat> they're in the books and they're in the library all the time, that they're not really practicing and that maybe they're wasting their time even studying all the, all the say, kind of background and the history of the language, the etymology of the Pali language and so forth. But I've met a few monks that actually, when you speak with them, as soon as you touch on this topic, they start beaming and glowing. They just love it. And I think this is the quality of Dhammakamata. So for us also, like it's really perfectly all right just sometimes simply to read something and enjoy it and think, wow, this is great. I've never heard this teaching before, or I've never listened to this Dhamma talk before, or just simply to figure something out, or like trying to memorize a part of what we're doing in the chanting, for example. And then we have it, and we have it with us, and it feels like, wow, this is a treasure. I've got this treasure now. When I go to some, say in Thailand, for example, deep forest, and there's lots of threats there, threats of ghosts, threats of snakes, scorpions or so. I have this treasure and I love the Dharma. Nothing can happen to me. This is my refuge. At least I have the joy in it. Maybe I don't have the full insight or so, and maybe I haven't let go of all my defilements, but I love the Dharma. And this quality, Dhamma Kamata, is a real beautiful one. So inspiration maybe in modern terms, I don't know. So the next one is, um, Interesting in this whole set of qualities, the Buddha talks more about practices than about like the um, fulfilled quality or virtue that is already present. He talks about these are things that you need to work on in order to develop qualities that make a refuge. This is what we need to do in order to ground ourselves and be confident in the Dhamma. And the next quality he talks about is Virya Rambha which means the dedication to put forth effort. And of course he means meditation, or he means like um, doing practices that we sometimes think we should do and sometimes maybe are too lazy a bit to. Of course there's that element of effort and being diligent and possibly making resolutions. I will get up in the morning and in the evening I'll, I'll do morning and evening chanting or sit meditation for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, that's that element. But there's also just the quality of working on something and putting forth effort while it's in process. It's, he's not talking about virya, he's talking about virya rambha, which means the quality of trying, the quality of giving it a try, the quality of trying to do the right thing. And actually he explains what he mainly means in this context is letting go of unwholesome states of mind and cultivating wholesome states of mind. So this is the quality of effort, the quality of trying to make the situation a bit better through dropping the things that are obstacles 
and cultivating the things that are supportive. And this is very, very beautiful. If you see somebody who doesn't just simply let down his energy, but has got this inner motivation to keep going, even though things are difficult, this is Virya Rampas. And this is an inner stronghold. This is a refuge, a quality that makes up for protection and is a guardian for us. Whereas if we're lazy and we're basically thinking, oh no, not today or so, again, then we feel prone to being critical about ourselves, feeling we've missed an opportunity, feel ashamed. Maybe the other monks don't respect us because we're basically trying to take it easy, whereas other people are maybe kind of motivated and we are the ones that are kind of like a bit, say, nagging at the group feeling of let's do this together. So this virya, the quality of putting forth energy, is also communal and it also serves for respect in the community, also in the family and in f with friends. If somebody is really basically trying and putting forth effort, you would never block this person. You'd say, yeah, he or she is well motivated, is trying hard. And that's something that creates this self-respect or the protection and the inner backbone or the refuge. And then the Buddha says, okay, but also we practice contentment. And for the monks, it's very simple. The contentment usually expresses itself with the food we get or the, the dwelling. For example, we're not choosing which room we live in or which place. Basically, we take whatever is given to us in, or like if we need a new sort of soap or toothpaste, we say it's up to the store man. He can give us whatever he likes. All I say, I need some toothpaste. It doesn't have to be this and that. Um, we're practicing to be content with whatever is given to us. Or it's also about the robes. Sometimes our robes aren't so, so nice anymore and we'd like to have a new one. But we practice to use things as long as we can and are happy with whatever was given to us. Similarly, with medical treatment, Obviously, we believe medical treatment is almost like a bit of a human right, but in the monastery, sometimes we just wait and think, no, it's not quite the right time. I'm actually okay. I can, I can deal with what I have already. I can try with some medicine that's available. And we try our best to use what we have already. This is called the quality of contentment, santutti. And if we can do that, I believe then we can live anywhere. We can go to the end of the world where there's no electricity, nothing really there, and we can still be happy because we've trained. Yeah, whatever comes, comes as unexpectedly as a gift or something maybe because we're lucky or so, but we're not expecting it. We're not putting our whole hopes on one thing that we really want to have or so, but we just say whatever comes, we'll take it. Take it as it comes. That's the contentment quality. And then the quality that the Buddha praises in many areas is the quality of having mindfulness. Whatever happens, we simply see things as they are and we work with them as they come. And this really is a good grounding. We can feel strong if we have mindfulness. This is something I believe that even in education in the world, they start discovering it's actually quite a good thing to have. It makes people very, very effective and very, say, together to have mindfulness. In this context, though, the Buddha actually talks 
about mindfulness in a slightly uncommon way for most of us, I believe. He says, it's the quality to recollect, the quality to remember things. Say, for example, you see, today it's raining. I remember to take my umbrella. Or if you forgot the umbrella, you remember, oh, I'll get wet. <laughs> you just, you know what's happening and you see what it is and you expect it the way it is and you don't think it should be any other way. And sometimes it helps then to put a label on it. So there's a whole meditation tradition where they do this recollection very systematically. When they stand up, they say to themselves, standing up. Or when they walk, they go lifting, touching. Or when they breathe in, they breathe in and they breathe out. And, they, and the meditators there, they tell themselves all the time, what am I doing in order to help a little bit, put a label on what one's doing. Ultimately, the quality of mindness is pure awareness and is not discriminating or so. It's just a quality that arises from a peaceful mind that simply knows. Whereas as a stepladder to that, we're well advised to sometimes let us recollect what should one do, for example. When we do meditation, we also have a certain amount of technique that we apply. We tell ourselves, okay, stay in the present. And that is already a recollection. You tell yourself, this is what I wanted to do. Back to the breath or back to sitting straight rather than falling over. And this little recollection, it's like a training situation. So the Buddha says, even to train in, in that, that one reminds oneself of what's happening, what needs to happen, what is the task at hand. This is already a refuge for ourselves. If we had perfect mindfulness, we'd be already so strong in ourselves that nothing could shake us anyway. Whereas if we're training, if you're practicing, then we have these little tricks that we use, for example, telling ourselves, okay, I need to not forget this. Mindfulness in that sense is the opposite of forgetfulness. So this is called sati. It's one of the qualities that the Buddha said, if one has sati, mindfulness in that way, then one feels inwardly strong and has a certain amount of protection and doesn't get overblown by things unexpectedly, one is present. And the last quality that the Buddha recommended to make oneself a refuge is the quality of wisdom. But again, he says in this context, he says, apply wisdom. Because if we had wisdom already, we'd be like the Buddha. Like then we'd be there already with our practice. We'd already know things are happening out of causes and conditions. Things are ceasing, passing away. There's old age, sickness, death. We'd already know this. But with the application of wisdom, we sometimes need to teach ourselves a little bit and let us know, okay, what did the Buddha actually say to this? And what would a wise person say to this? This is a very good experiment. Sometimes if we don't know, we just imagine somebody with a long white beard, super old Chinese sage or so, sitting somewhere on a beautiful rock with like lots of bamboo around and just blissed out and really knows everything about the truth of existence, duality, non-duality, everything. So we imagine, suppose we were a wise person, what would we do? What would be a wise habit right now? What would be unwise? 
maybe we can think of many, many things where we kind of missed the idea of being really wise and truthful and, um, and genuinely grounded in awareness and understanding. And if we've missed it, then we use this little training and going back to telling ourselves, okay, what would be actually a wise reply to that? Or somebody who we respect, who is in our eyes a very wise refuge, for example, a teacher in, in the Sangha, or like our grandmother, grandfather, elderly people, we imagine what would she or he say to us? What would she or he think? And it brings up this quality of, hmm, if I was talking or acting, interacting with a wise person, I surely would feel a bit embarrassed if I did something unwise. So I go back to that quality and internalize, okay, let me develop wisdom. Of course, like in the Buddha's teachings, many, many teachings have been given to teach us the view around the world, around life, around old age, sickness and death, that leads to final liberation, leads to the understanding of the cessation of dukkha. And we can also use that. We can also use wisdom with our awareness of bringing back the main teachings of the Buddha back into our mind and using them while we're doing things to inform ourselves, teach ourselves and keep ourselves grounded so that we don't just fall over when something unexpected comes or something negative impinges on us or somebody says something not beautiful or challenges us and then we go back to this grounding in wisdom which is obviously then the, the highest form of refuge. If you, if you have really wisdom in your heart, then basically you'd be unshakable and imperturbable. A new word I learned from Lung Po. Imperturbable. <laughs> you'd be unshakable. Mm -hmm. That means you have this inner stronghold. So these ten qualities of making a refuge are important. They're practical tools. Just remember that things in there like helping out, keeping sila, or like also the joy of Dhamma, and also just normal common Buddhist practices like mindfulness and practicing to develop wisdom. They all help us to be grounded and not fall prone to things that create us suffering. So these are my reflections for tonight. Offer them and hope that they may be helpful for you.